Howdy how, this is Aswi and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Yo, what is up, guys? We are back with another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. With me, I got AC. What's up, guys? And I got my boy, Eric. Yes, sir. So today's pod is going to be about a guy who's been coming up in the NBA media recently, and that's Rich Paul, who is a part of the Clutch Sports group. Now, Rich Paul's been getting himself into a little bit of trouble here. It seems like there's a lot of stuff going on with Nerlens Noel, with Ben Simmons, and randomly he's with Adele now also. It's like kind of all over the place from the guy. I know AC and Eric, you guys keep up with a lot of the Rich Paul stuff. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to you guys. AC, what are your thoughts? I mean, one day you hear that of all people, Rich Paul is with Adele. I mean, (laughs) that was kind of a shocking news. The (laughs) next day, right after that, you hear a a lawsuit breaking out that Nerlens Noel is suing this guy, suing Clutch Sports. All these teams are involved. It looks like the whole empire is falling down. The next day, Zach Levine signs with him. Kind of like an F you to everyone. No, Clutch Sports is still there. Then Ben Simmons asks out. There's all these crazy rumors about you know them trying to pull Tyrese Maxey out of there. Clutch hate is at an all-time high. What better time to talk about Rich Paul than right now, guys? Yeah, facts. So in the age of the pandemic, year two, apparently it's the year of Rich Paul. I mean, outside of the Adele stuff, <laughs> <laughs> which, I mean, was the most random occurrence of this year that I can think of off the top of my head. This Nerlin Noel lawsuit is just huge, huge stuff. The Ben Simmons fiasco slash soap opera that has been like boiling to a and trying to reach a crescendo for the last couple of months, ever since their second round ouster about a month ago. I, I just wouldn't have thought on my pandemic bingo card that Rich Paul would be getting the brunt of the basketball world's attention. Wait, Eric, you, you mentioned that the basketball world is focused on him. And it's a good point because it's at a time of the season where there's really no other moves to be made. I mean, all the teams are kind of set as they are. The one last domino to fall here is the inevitable Ben Simmons trade. Is that going to happen now? Is that going to happen in five, six months? We don't know. And at the center of it all is Rich Paul, who is not only Ben Simmons' agent, but part of the lawsuit against him stems from accusations by former Sixers coach and at that time general manager or acting general manager, Brett Brown. And there seems to be some bad blood there between the Philadelphia 76ers and Rich Paul. So he's really, it's all the focus of the NBA media has been on Rich Paul. And the vast majority has been negative, which is something that I want to talk about as well. So Rich Paul is a pretty interesting guy and he's in the circles and friends with a lot of NBA players as well. So I know AC, we should definitely talk a little bit about how Rich Paul even came to be the kind of guy that he is, right? I mean, I know he he's from Cleveland. He like kind of grew up a little bit with LeBron here and there. Yeah. So there's this misnomer about Rich Paul that he's a childhood friend of LeBron. That's actually not the case at all. In fact, he only met LeBron in LeBron's senior year in which he was, uh, he as in Rich Paul, was selling throwback NFL jerseys out of the back of his car. He would buy these jerseys from Atlanta and then he would drive to various places like in Ohio and he would sell them. And this was his business. And LeBron met him and he had some cool jerseys. Specifically, the story is there was a Warren Moon jersey which LeBron was really impressed by. And then he said, okay, I'm flying to whatever place I'm, I'm going to. And when I come back next, I'll buy this thing from you. And Rich Paul actually drove himself to where LeBron was flying to and kind of met him there again. And LeBron was kind of taken by this guy's spirit and, and kind of his business inclination and kind of brought him into his inner circle at that point. When he was drafted the next year, LeBron had Rich Paul as one of his inner circle and then kind of had him as a salaried position, even though at that point he was doing nothing until Rich Paul then started learning under LeBron's agent at the time, was which was Leon Rose, who currently runs the New York Knicks. It's the other big rival agency to clutch. But Rich Paul kind of learned under him. And the next thing you know, 
when LeBron leaves Cleveland around that time, that time of that contract, he also leaves CAA and Rich Paul leaves with them, obviously, and starts Clutch Sports, which at the time was a monumental thing because, you know, even David Stern had to say, you know, this is dangerous for a guy to just go with an agent that has no prior experience. But the rest is history because Clutch Sports is absolutely massive right now. So what you're saying, AC, is that basically... Rich Paul is a contemporary example of an old-time Horatio Alger story where a guy from little means through the right circumstances and his own hard work somehow becomes either like comfortable in his financial situation or in Rich Paul's case, incredibly wealthy and powerful. Yeah, I mean, it's a good analogy. It's really a rags to riches story. What's interesting to me with Rich Paul is that there's this perception that he only has what he has because of his friendship with LeBron. And obviously, there's a lot of truth to that. But that's no different than the average agent out there who gets that first break because they happen to be best friends or cousins with someone who winds up getting a big contract with one of the major professional sports leagues. LeBron kind of gave Rich Paul the launching point, but everything else Rich Paul has done here is a lot to his own credit. It's kind of surprising to me that he doesn't get more credit for that and instead gets so much hate. So I guess this is where there's a conflict between reality and perception, because like you intimated, of course, most people who aren't players, they get their positions through their connections. So it's it's pretty normative for Rich Paul to have used someone who's prominent as a launching pad for his own career. But there, for whatever reason, though that is a reality, he's also perceived as a bit of a grima worm tongue, whispering in the air of this prominent player, being incredibly deceitful and manipulative behind the scenes and being the proverbial puppet master. So basically you're saying that Anthony Davis was that king King Theoden, and this man was whispering in his ear to to join Saruman, which is LeBron. That's what we're, we're saying. <laughs> I, I think that's a, a very obvious analogy, right? <laughs> Am I the only one that saw that? Well, I'm pretty sure you are, but now I can't unsee it. So, <laughs> props to you. So, it's obvious that Rich Paul is very good at his job because, I mean, outside of the very obvious names that they have, such as LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I mean, there's a there's a lot of NBA players that are underneath this group. And to name a few, there's Lonzo Ball, Eric Bledsoe, Miles Bridges, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. I mean, you got to wonder, like, how it is that they actually go about this this business and how they can get so many clients underneath their the regime. Yeah, and I know you're not even mentioning the fact that they also have clients in other sports leagues. They have some major players in NFL and MLB, just to name a few guys. They have Houston Astros player Alex Bregman, New York Mets pitcher Marcus Stroman. In the NFL, they have Jarvis Landry, Melvin Gordon, Alvin Kamara. Like These are big-time players. So whatever Rich Paul's doing, it's working. And, and that brings me to what is it that separates this agency from other agencies? One of the things is there's a perception that's cultivated by Clutch Sports, by Rich Paul, that if you don't give them what they want, they will ask out. And they've used leverage like this multiple times. It's one of the reasons why, amongst others, why Clutch Sports is not that popular with ownership groups around the NBA, because they've pulled leverage moves like this before. We saw it with Anthony Davis. Uh, we saw it you know, with Eric Bledsoe. As soon as somebody signs to Clutch Sports, there's a fear that, oh my God, this guy's going to demand to be moved to someplace different. You're already seeing that with Zach Levine. Bulls fans are freaking out. They're wondering, does this mean that Zach Levine's going to want out? So there is that perception, but it comes about because Rich Paul has, with some notable exceptions, which we'll talk about, like Nerland's, been able to secure that bag for his clients and get them what they want. Yeah, big facts. And to add on to that, I do think it has a lot to do with what you said, AC, as far as getting the wants and needs accomplished of their clients in a ruthless manner. But I also think some of the distaste for Rich Paul is ownership and NBA front offices looking at Rich Paul as being a bit of a microcosm or rather an avatar for LeBron James and the power that he has amassed in the last decade and how that power has trickled down to other players and led to a philosophical shift in 
the relationship between management and players. Well, that's a great point, Eric. I, I think there's almost two parts of what you're saying. The first is there is this understanding that never before have players been this powerful. And in many ways, that stems directly from the decision. Ever since then, there's been way more player autonomy. It's a, it's a player's league now, even more than it ever was before. And the clutch sports and LeBron kind of symbolize that. But the other side of it is there's also this perception, which I actually don't think is true, that LeBron is either financially vested in this, which the NBA has looked into and he's not, or that somehow his teams benefit the most from this. In other words, that basically the clutch larger agency with all of its various players are working toward helping LeBron. And the evidence that people point to for this is Anthony Davis going to the Lakers. But I'm pretty sure that Anthony Davis actually wanted to go to the Lakers because he's a grown-ass man and this guy's just his agent. <laughs> you know, like this idea that, oh, like he just, as you said, poisoned his ear kind of like, cream of worm tongue, you know, talk to King Theoden is kind of absurd to me. And you can't possibly exist as a business if everything you're doing is to help one player who happens to be the guy who got your start. And many of these players have gotten their big contracts on teams that aren't LeBron teams. So I, I think it's a bit of a ridiculous perception, but I also can't deny that it seems to exist not just amongst fans, but even amongst some other front office people. Yeah, and it, it reeks of some type of, uh, dare I say it, like chauvinism, where they think that these grown multi-millionaires aren't able to have agency over themselves, that Rich Paul and de facto LeBron just steering these guys around as if they're like chess pieces on a chessboard, and they just do whatever they find to be most beneficial for LeBron's career. But that's the perception. It is what it is. Yeah, and I mean, rather than it just being completely for LeBron's career I mean it's obvious that it stems a lot from their own personal wants and what they can stand to gain from it I mean if we all had the opportunity to go and play with a LeBron James wouldn't we just jump at the opportunity to take it I mean it it, it just seems rather ridiculous that there's this notion that it, it's all like predetermined or like you know it's all faded that it would just be this way for LeBron James and Rich Paul is just guiding everyone towards this like one angle to take. I, I just don't believe it myself either. I, I think there's also an obvious jealousy from other agents. You know, we talked about the management perspective. They obviously don't like players demanding to be, you know, moved from one place to another or kind of, you know, threatening to hold out as we see with the Ben Simmons situation. Now, management is never going to like that in any sport. But for agents... Rich Paul is a bit of a threat. He's not a guy who followed the typical course to become an agent, aside from just knowing somebody, which I think most all of them have had in common, that they all know someone. But he is a guy who kind of comes from nothing. And I, th I think there's a legitimate aspect of jealousy. There may even be some, you know, I'm going to say it flat out. There may be some a little bit of tinge of racism as well, because here's a guy who came out of nowhere and is kicking all their asses collectively because Clutch Sports now is at least on the level of, if not more powerful than even the CAA, at least in the NBA. And that's insane. It's a complete power shift. And let's be honest about the makeup of the league, because I, I completely agree with your point that there are hints of subtle racism here. The league, as far as their, their players, the, the people we see are predominantly Black. The front offices, management, and agents, historically and, and now, are predominantly white. So there's always that race elephant in the room when you look at the dynamic between a person like Rich Paul, who doesn't have the traditional education bona fides that the rest of the largely white agents do, who in general went to a four-year university and after that went to law school. So that's that's always just bubbling under the surface of these dynamics. Eric, do you remember a few years ago when the NCAA implemented the quote unquote Rich Paul rule? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> it was really, really a fucked up rule. For those of you who might not know what that is, there was a young player at the time, Darius Baisley, who on the advice of Rich Paul decided that he would you know, forego playing at Syracuse. Instead, he would take an internship at New Balance in which he would be paid. And in response to this, the NCAA 
implemented a rule that agents had to have college degrees in order to represent players. In other words, if you hired someone like Rich Paul, who does not have a college degree, but arguably is way more accessible than the average NBA agent, you would lose your eligibility to play college basketball. That right there, that rule just reeks of something designed to stop an individual that's upsetting sort of the norms of how this business has operated for a very long time and that people see as a threat, fairly or unfairly. Yeah, just to piggyback off of what you're saying, the NCAA and professional sports in this country have always had some type of parasitic symbiotic relationship. So a person like Rich Paul, who's like front and center connected to someone that is looked at as being the face of this ideological shift in player ownership dynamics, it's not surprising that they would zero in on him and make rules that they never thought needed to be made before to act as a means of assuring that people like Rich Paul would never happen again. Agreed, man. So... We obviously know how good Rich Paul is at his job. I mean, his client list will speak for itself. And he definitely does seem to care a lot about his clients. However, there are instances where in some ways he's actually done a little bit of a disservice to his clients. And one such guy is Nerlens Noel of the New York Knicks. I know, Eric, you're sort of knowledgeable about what the actual lawsuit is. So do you mind just like letting us know? Yeah, no problem. So... Rich Paul is being accused by Nerlens Noel of losing out on $58 million of income while being represented by Clutch Sports. Nerlens Noel's contention is that prior to like agreeing to have Paul represent him, he was offered a four-year $70 million deal from the Dallas Mavericks. He turned that down, left his former agent, Signed up with Clutch Sports because, for whatever reason, Rich Paul told him that he could get him more money on the open market. From what I hear, he was saying that he could get him between $100 million and $120 million. Of course, that never materialized. He ended up getting much shorter offers after he got an injury. And in the meantime, while getting those shorter offers, within the last year, he decided to stop actually paying a commission to Clutch Sports on his current contract. So Rich Paul sued him or at least went before the Players Association and arbitration to get his $200,000 in commission. And then Nerlens Noel sued him for the $58 million or at least the supposed loss of $58 million that never materialized. Yeah, there's so much to unpack here. There are a couple of things that just strike me as kind of amusing is apparently... Where Noel met Rich Paul at Ben Simmons' birthday party in L.A., so it's all of this; these worlds are colliding in one, you know, one big story here. Kanye the West said, that, "No, no more parties in L.A." Yeah, right, he did right. say that. He did say that. That's right. The other thing that I find interesting here is it's not that Noel is suing for the four-year seventy million dollars that he turned down. What he's saying is, in the time between then and now. There are actually standing offers from multiple teams, which Brett Brown has confirmed the Sixers made one such offer, and other teams have come out and said that they've also made such offers, and they couldn't reach Rich Paul because he didn't answer their calls. So there's sort of two separate ideas here. The first is that Rich Paul told him, hey, leave your agent, I can get you a bigger deal. That's always a bit of a gamble on the part of any player, right? I mean, you could go for that, or you can't go for that. You might end up you know, going bust, like we saw with Dennis Schroeder this very summer. But it's another thing altogether if there were actually standing offers on the table and you just didn't pick up your phone for whatever reason. And while I'm inclined to think that, you know, why would he not even answer the phone? Like, it doesn't make any sense. The fact that multiple people have come on and confirmed this, including Brett Brown, but also other teams that have really no reason to do so, kind of is a bit damning here. And makes you think that Rich Paul could be in a little bit more trouble than we may even be acknowledging collectively as a media, although I think the bar to actually succeeding in a lawsuit here is high. You know, it's interesting. If I was in Nerland's Noel's situation, right, and I had the opportunity to just get me $70 million over the course of four years, I mean, if, if I know what I'm capable of as Nerland's Noel, I would just take it at a heartbeat. Because Nerland's Noel is a great player for his role, but he's not some 
all-star type level talent, right? So the fact that he was sort of coerced into not being able to take the bag that's just clearly right in front of his face and is sort of being like messed around a little bit here and there, I, I could see where a lot of his frustration is vented out because, I mean, that that's a lot of money to, to give up for a player of his caliber. No offense, Nerlens, but you're good, but you're not that good. Yeah, big facts. And my grandmother used to always tell me this old idiom, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So how that relates to Noel, if someone's giving you $70 million, you're not an all-star player. You're not an elite player. You take the $70 million that's offered. But that being said, the accusation that Rich Paul was ignoring teams, possibly trying to give Nerlens Noel contract offers, like if true, that would be... As far as I know, an unprecedented thing that an agent has done. I've never heard any such thing. And I'm trying to think as parallels in other sports, like no major sport in America, I, I can think of an accusation where an agent decided unilaterally that he was going to shut down offers from the teams that he chose to shut down. That's a wild accusation. It literally just sounds, if true, extraordinarily malicious. And I just couldn't imagine it actually flying in, in any sort of professional sporting business. It just, it's crazy. A good point there, Anushan, about the maliciousness. And that's kind of why I have my doubts about this. Because what reason would possibly prompt Rich Paul and Clutch Sports from ignoring this? Like, what, what, why did, what did they have to gain from this? Just being this malicious here. It's not like a one time thing where they forgot. This is over the course of multiple years. And one of the things the lawsuit alleges, which we haven't mentioned yet, is it was really Nerland's Noel, according to the lawsuit, who actually made the connections to get the minimum contracts he had over the last several years, including his most recent one that he got for the Knicks. So the idea being that. It's kind of absurd for Rich Paul to, on the one end, ignore calls coming in for bigger offers, then do nothing to get this guy his minimum contract offers, and then on top of that, ask for a commission on the minimum contract, which is what prompted this entire lawsuit because he filed a grievance to collect $200,000, which is, I guess, his portion of the minimum contract signed by Nerlens Noel. So it's just a bad look all around if it's true. What I can't figure out, and, and Eric, maybe you can help me out, is what possible reason does he have to do this? So if we're looking at it as an agent maximizes his client's opportunities to make money, it makes no type of practical sense. But if you're a conspiracy theorist and you think that all of Rich Paul's machinations as, as being the head of Clutch Sports is to work things out for LeBron and his career trajectory, then you could, I guess, make up arguments of maybe why he didn't want Nerlens to go to certain places. But even then, it's like Nerlens isn't that impactful of a player that he's likely to like swing championships. And I've been racking my brains for the last week trying to figure out a scenario where I could see an agent turning down offers from teams and I can't come to anything. Yeah, and we should mention that the likelihood of success here is not that high because there's a very high bar to show that Rich Paul breaches fiduciary duty to Nerlens Noel. Ultimately, in a player-agent relationship, it's the player that's the principal who makes the ultimate decision to accept or not accept a contract. Though it's a little bit different in a situation where I guess they never even heard about the contract because the agent, for whatever reason, ignored phone calls, either intentionally or through pure negligence. But I think that if we're looking at the likelihood of success, we're missing the, what the real lawsuit here is about. This lawsuit is ultimately about discovery, in my opinion. Nerlens Noel here is mad that he has to pay this fee, and he's trying to sue here to say, okay, Rich Paul, if I can get this into discovery where... You know, for those of you who don't know about discovery in the legal process, it's a vehicle through which you can find out the other side's documents, emails, everything they have, phone calls related to a certain incident. So a lot of dirty laundry can come up because, man, if you give a good lawyer discovery, they can make 
anything sound like anything. You know, it's like if you just give them a lot of you know unfiltered access to things, and if they can get to that stage, and there's no guarantee they can get that far. They're in a situation where it could just look bad for Clutch. Like there could be a lot of dirty laundry coming out. Who knows what goes behind any agent? I'm not saying this is specific to Clutch. I mean, just generally speaking, when agencies and players and teams are negotiating, who knows what kind of dirty laundry there is? That's not something that Clutch wants. Now, what Clutch has going for them is this entire lawsuit should probably be an arbitration because the NBA has a mandatory arbitration clause. And I'm pretty sure that whatever lawyers Rich Paul gets will try to get this to arbitration. If it goes to arbitration, much of this discovery will not be public information. It'll be much harder to get access to it. So I think that's where the first fight will be. Will, will this be in court? Will this be in arbitration? For Clutch Sports, they need this thing to get to arbitration. And even then, they probably want to settle this. This, you know, It's not worth it for them to, to fight this and have all everything else that they do get out there. AC, as our resident attorney, and I'm just thinking of this in real time because we know one of the things that Nerlens Noel mentioned was Norris Cole and Shabazz Muhammad, who were also represented by Rich Paul, supposedly being offered deals, turning it down under the auspices of Paul materializing more money for them on the open market and not being successful. I guess the question I would ask is, could this case set some precedent where guys who are talked into leaving their agents for another agent under, you know, the promises of bigger contracts that they can procure, would that be later on looked at as a means to like sue the agents who don't actually materialize these contracts? Because we know this offseason, Victor Oladipo, he left his longtime agent for another agency because supposedly he was told that there was a large market for him to get a substantial like contract, which I don't know why, considering the injury he's coming back from. And that never materialized. So I, I'm just curious, what do you think as far as precedent that a hypothetical loss for Rich Paul could set the groundwork for? Honestly, I, I doubt it, Eric, because Listen, if someone tells you to leave your job because they can get you a better job, ultimately, you're the one deciding to do that, right? I mean, you're the one who decided that you're going to pass up the sure bet to go for the gamble. So I think even with respect to this particular lawsuit, I find it hard to imagine that Noel can win on those grounds. I think his far better argument is this notion that Rich Paul potentially ignored calls for actual money, big time offers, multi-year deals. For whatever reason, I, and, and I'm still not entirely sure why, why he would have done that if he did do that. So I, I'd be surprised if there's any kind of precedent set. And frankly, I'd be just as surprised if this case actually reaches a resolution without being settled. Because in my opinion, Clutch Sports has every incentive to settle this thing, you know, whether it's in court or for ghost arbitration, as opposed to have this thing play out and have some kind of a, a judgment with not just for the $58 million, but potentially for punitive damages as well, which could be, you know, a multiplier of that. Okay, fair enough. It, it just seems like it's more complex than than meets the eye. Definitely how it was reported in, in the media. Like there's a lot of moving parts. And I'm just curious to know how that's going to play out. In retrospect, I still think that Rich Paul might have been better off not pushing for that 200000 commission and just letting sleeping dogs lie because it seems like he's in a bit of a legal pickle right now. Yeah, and the entire NBA is watching this lawsuit very closely because the idea that Clutch could kind of fall apart. I mean, let's just say that ultimately, you know, in a worst case scenario for Clutch, if they're found to have violated their fiduciary duties, I mean, it's a bad look. I mean, setting aside where the NBA itself would take action, I do think that kind of thing could drive away players. Of course, on the other hand, literally the day after this news breaks, Zach Levine signs with Clutch Sports. So right now, at least, it's not deterring anyone, it seems. And and Clutch Sports' reputation as this agency that'll strong-arm teams to get you what you want seems to be the pervasive notion amongst the elite players, which, of course, as Anu can talk about, brings us to Ben Simmons. Yeah, I mean, from one NBA player to an NBA all-star in Ben Simmons, like, we just had to talk about the ridiculous, insane situation going on in Philadelphia, where it just seems like Rich Paul and Ben are just outright forcing Daryl Morey's hand to get Ben the hell out of Philadelphia right now. 
And also, guys, it just doesn't it doesn't only concern Ben, but it also deals with Tyrese Maxey, who is another player on the Sixers who's under Rich Paul, who's also being swayed to not engage in community planned events in the event that Maxey will grow roots in the city and just end up being traded as well. So I just want to know what your guys thoughts are on the whole situation right now that we see here. Well, just to clarify, that particular report about Tyrese Maxey, the reporter who reported that, I think his name was James Dumas or Dumas. Dumas, yeah. Yeah. He actually recanted that story and now, or, or effectively recanted, he said that now Rich Paul is he's hearing that Rich Paul would love him to be there. So now, does that mean that he had the wrong information in the first place? Or does it mean that Rich Paul changed his mind after he you know, found out just the outpouring of reaction, even from Philadelphia fans and just the whole NBA about how unfair that would be? Basically that... Tyrese Max would be dragged along. I mean, if that was true, that would basically just even give more fire to Nerlens Noel's lawsuit that Clutch Sports only cares about the star players. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt right now because as of today, Dumas has recanted that part of the story. And I guess it was focused just on Ben Simmons. Right. And so that brings us to Ben, obviously. So the situation is like, kind of messed up just because we don't even know what's going to be happening with Ben within the next couple of weeks, whether he's going to even show up to training camp for the Sixers. There's reports that he doesn't even want anything to do with the Sixers. He's projecting all contact with his team. We're just not too sure what's going on. And obviously they're not letting up a whole lot. So of course, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on the actual situation that, that we see here. Like, do you think it's fair what's happening here? Do you think there should be a bit more information that's being led on by both Ben Simmons and, and Rich Paul. What are your guys' thoughts? To me, this is the ultimate test of just how powerful Clutch Sports is. Because you have a guy here in Ben Simmons who, in my opinion, has no leverage whatsoever. He had a terrible playoffs. I don't think anyone around the NBA even thinks of him as a guy who could be the best player on a team. I think there's legitimate doubts of him going to be the second best player on a championship team. And I should also mention that he has four more years under contract. So it's not like he's just a free agent to be in a few months. So all those things combined would make you think that he would have no leverage. And yet, not only does he want out, he has a list of teams that apparently he wants to go to, which hilariously includes the quote-unquote three California teams, which somehow excludes the one team that wants him, the fourth California team, the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> just, just, just so much to unpack. It's just so funny. Hey, what's wild about that? I don't know if you guys remember, right out of the playoffs, or at least out of the second round, when the, the Sixers were sent packing, there were two teams that had kind of decent offers that they were floating to the media. Yep. And it was the Pacers, and it was the Kings. And the Sixers brass, and, and we're getting this through like beat reporters, of course, and Sixers fans are like, oh, no. We will never take the offer from the Kings. Or we would never take Michael Brogdon <laughs> or De'Aaron Fox. Why would we take De'Aaron Fox? Well, buddy, it was as good as you was going to get. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and now you have this guy saying, oh, you know what? That that fourth team that seems to, as far as California teams, that was going to offer the most on the package? I don't even want to go there. They're, they're like... I couldn't dare be forced to go to a team that's so lowly as the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> even, even though, let me add, his head coach and their best player blamed their loss on him after their like dismissal from the playoffs, which clearly shows the Sixers don't even want him. Yeah, I mean, this is a classic case of a guy in Ben Simmons wanting his cake and eating it too. I mean, it also just goes to show, like, the problem with this players being naturally talented as well, right? Like, natural talent can only take you so far. And with Ben, and we've talked about it a numerous amount of times in past podcasts, but Ben's refusal to want to work, to actually strive to get better, or to even attempt to do certain things like taking shots in games, it just shows that his limitations as a player have, have boxed him in. And now it's gotten to a point where... It's affecting his his contracts, his like future with his his team, and it, at this point, it's just ridiculous. Honestly, like I, it just makes me dislike him as a player so much, and also just like what's going on with the situation in Philadelphia. It just it just is terrible. Honestly, Ben Simmons has become 
a manifestation of the old adage, you miss every shot you don't take. Yeah. Like, I mean, the man isn't <laughs> taking shots, so it's literally true. <laughs> no, it's so true. <laughs> like, he won't take any shots. His game somehow, outside of his defense, which was always, while he's been a pro, fairly great, his game has actually somehow regressed offensively, which honestly, I can't think of any parallel to Ben Simmons' like trajectory as far as being an all-star caliber player slash borderline all-NBA player while like regressing in your first five years in the league offensively. So like hearkening back to his like trade value and what you could get on the market for him, like this definitely, as AC said, is going to show how much power Clutch actually has. Because between Ben Simmons and the Sixers, I don't see how this guy isn't traded for literal pennies on a dollar. And that's just sad too, right, Eric? I mean, like, just think about what was offered to him in the past. And a lot of teams have given the the Sixers tons of offers as well for Ben when his trade value was was higher than what it is now. And it's, it's just like, this is also just goes to show just jumping on opportunities when you see them by a lot of the GMs. And I think a lot of GMs will learn from th- these kind of mistakes as well from from maury i i bet people would argue that it, uh, he still did a good job in handling the whole ben simmons situation but like there, there has to be this this vision this foresight to see like how the limitations of such a player can affect not only your team but i mean your franchise and your own standing as a gm right like now it, it just seems that this has become a huge giant joke between the sixers organization and uh daryl maury himself it just looks bad on all parties to me so Anu, you mentioned that you're starting to dislike Ben Simmons a little. Well, I got something that'll make you dislike him a little bit more. And I, it's actually a hilarious, <laughs> hilarious line by the same Jason Dumas of Bleacher Report oh, we yeah. mentioned earlier. So maybe it's not that credible, but I just found this quote to be so funny. He goes, quote, he doesn't want, he as in Ben Simmons, doesn't want to go to a bad situation. He's reading the tea leaves. He sees Toronto. For those of you who don't know, Anushan is oh, yeah. from that area. He sees Portland, and then, being frank, being the young socialite that he is, he's not going to go to any of those situations. He's looking to go to the California teams. <laughs> the young socialite line just gets me every time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I saw that, too. And when I initially saw that, I was, like, really taken aback because, I mean, for anyone who's ever actually been to Toronto, it is a fantastic city. And that's just not me saying it as someone who's from the area myself, but like I've heard it from multiple times from a bunch of different people coming into the city and, and all that. So I don't know that point does not stand with me at all. If it's about the weather, then Hey, also complains about it all the time too. So it's nothing out of the ordinary for me. So he, so he's apparent, he's apparently trying to set up shop as like the six Kardashian kid or something. Oh no, no, no. Wait, wait, that's kind of incestuous. He dated one of them, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. He's with Kendall. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah so there's a lot about what you guys said which I, I wanted to remark upon one of the ideas that anu mentioned was that he has done so little to improve the obvious flaws in his game but to tie it into the overall theme of our podcast there is some blame for that 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 falls on clutch sports because clutch when the sixers approached him to give him a off-season workout routine off-season shooting routine clutch stepped in probably ben simmons told him this is what he wants them to do for it but they said no, he's going to have his own people work on his shot and work on his game. Whereas everybody else in Sixers had the team management working directly with them. Ben Simmons had his own people and Clutch was kind of a barrier between the two. So once again, it's just another way that maybe whatever he's working isn't the right approach because the man still can't forget hitting a three-pointer. This man can't hit a 12-foot jump shot. He doesn't take them when he's wide open. He shot the worst free throw percentage with the minimum amount of attempts in a playoff run in the history of professional basketball last season. So his development, to say that he's gone backward is an understatement. He has completely lost all confidence. And let's not forget, you know, both of you guys talked about, you know, is the timing too late? Should Mori have made a move earlier? Let's not forget the city that he plays for. And, you know, our co-host, Oswe, is not going to like me saying this because, you know, he's obviously, he's a Sixers fan. Philly is a tough city to play in, man. It's a city where they boo you when you suck. And yes, 
They've obviously stuck by this guy. They've rooted for him. They've cheered for him. You know, they've kind of defended him against the criticism. But last postseason, I think the whole thing reached a tipping point where that city started to get down on him. And the first game this guy comes back in and he passes up a wide open layup or misses two free throws, the boos are going to start raining down. And what part of Ben Simmons strikes you as a guy who is going to thrive in that situation? In my opinion, he is going to become even worse as that pressure mounts on him and the crowd reacts. It's funny that you said that he turned down the team's plan for his offseason, like workout proposals as far as like improving his game. How many times, and this is a serious question, guys, how many times over the past three or four summers have you all seen some type of like mixtape of Ben Simmons getting runs at the gym with a bunch of guys that he's taking jumpers just for him to come back. I'm so glad you mentioned this. Me too. Me too. I am so glad you mentioned this. You know, I'm assuming that clutch is behind his PR to some degree, if not, maybe his own guy. It's so tone deaf to be putting out these (laughs) videos. This man literally could not make a free throw and they have him playing against these dudes in what looks like a YMCA or something. <laughs> I mean, and he's yeah, he's hitting jumpers in like extreme slow footage. They're not showing the misses. The, if exactly. you watch this video, you think that you're watching the same coming to Ray Allen. I mean, it's absurd. <laughs> bruh, bruh. They have him taking these. But if you actually look at it, he's taking these slow wind-up 24-footers, which you know with NBA caliber defenders, Ben Simmons not getting that shot off. And they they show it like they even do it like to some cool rap song, like just montages <laughs> of, of him hitting these slow ass like silky jumpers. And every season he comes back and refuses to take shots outside of five <laughs> feet. You know, you know, it's funny, guys. And uh, Aswe, whenever he gets a chance to listen to this, he'll he'll probably have a little laugh, too. He sent me over the course of however many years Ben Simmons has been on this team, all of these <laughs> summer montages, all this garbage all the time. And I'm just like, OK, like, let's see him do it in an actual game with NBA defenders, as Eric said. And I mean, case in point, every single year I see the same thing and it never amounts to anything. I mean, hell, like, there was one time, like, this is outside the point, I saw Mitchell Robinson doing a bunch of crazy shit, and I was just thinking to myself, okay, this is fine against, like, the average person. Let him do this in an NBA game, and then we'll see if it's actually real or not. So all that stuff, like AC said, the PR team, they did a great job. Hell, if I was there, they would make me look like the next coming on Michael Jordan, I swear. <laughs> ben Simmons makes Shaq look like Ray Allen. You're not wrong. There's no question. If you look from an offensive skill perspective, ability to, you know, score consistently or even just take shots. To me, the thing that I can't get over here, and and no one has explicitly said this that's related to the Sixers, but it's in the undercurrent of everything that they did say. When it was Joel Embiid's comments after the game, whether it was Doc Rivers' comments after the game, the man was scared, right? He's afraid to fail. I think it might have been Barkley who said this recently, and I thought this was a great point. He said, if you compare Giannis and Ben Simmons, both of them suck at shooting free throws, right? One of them keeps driving anyway. And if he fails and he misses and the crowd boos him or they chant or whatever else, they count his free throw down, he doesn't care. The other one won't even take a layup for fear of either missing or getting fouled. And when the entire NBA saw that, right? And everyone knows that he needs to get out of there. What kind of leverage does, not only does Simmons have to get out of there, but do the Sixers have to even trade him? Because whatever offers they get here are going to be low ball offers. They scoffed at the, the, those Pacers offers and Kings offers that Eric mentioned before. I mean, I would take them now in a heartbeat. So this leads us into Ben Simmons himself, obviously, with him wanting out, right? And You know, it's easy to say like, oh, he's taking the easy way out, yada, yada, yada. But again, guys, this is a team that tried to to trade him and use him as a piece. So obviously there is a level of, you know, animosity that he might have between management and himself. But also like AC and Eric, you both said with how the city kind of treats him. Right. So do you guys think that he's wrong for wanting out of the situation? Yeah, because he can't go back to Philly. (laughs) He can't go back to Philly. He he has to leave. He has to leave for his own development, even though a lot of the issues that arose within the last couple of months are self-inflicted. But when your team is also down on you, when your team's best player, their franchise player, and their head coach are essentially blaming you for how a catastrophic series went, 
Yeah, if you don't have trust with the guys in the like the pit with you, you can't battle with them anymore. He has to go. I don't know where he's going to go. I'm not even sure what they can get back right now, but he has to go. I think he's well within his rights to ask for a trade from a team that tried to trade him. And as Eric said, who's the best player and coach, effectively threw him under the bus. That being said, I do not agree with him saying I need to only go to these few glamour locations for these teams that are basically already playoff contenders. If I was him, I'd actually do the complete opposite. I'd go to places on my own team that's young and is allowed to fail and can actually build around him in a very organic way. I would consider a team like a Sacramento or something like that where there isn't some established Joel Embiid there who's going to get all the post touches and all the, the touches that he needs to have to develop into the player that he could become. And I'm I'm totally fine with him, by the way, sitting out training camp if he, if he knows he's going to be traded. If the Sixers are trying to trade him and he knows that and he wants out of there i don't think he needs to show up he shouldn't get paid for that he should pay whatever fine comes with that but he's within his rights to sit out training camp but you can't do that and also be like but i'm only gonna play for these three la teams but oh by the way i'm under contract for four more years so i mean like let's say sacramento trades for him. what is he gonna do just not play for four years like there's no other solution here besides him actually winding up somewhere and, and playing Yeah, I'm in full agreement with you, AC. I just think that there's a situation here where Ben is obviously within his right to not want to stay with the Sixers. And that's totally fine. It's just his demeanor about like how he wants to go about it. It's what rubs me and I guess everyone else who's looking at the situation the wrong way. I I just think that he needs to really have a full reset and he has to get off of his like his high horse and just erase his ego and want to learn and be there from the start of it all like he needs to just have a full reset and do what he needs to do to actually develop into a competent nba player and not be what he is now guys if it makes you feel any better two of those california teams that he wants to go to he has no chance of actually getting on those teams so there's that like, I, I just can't yeah, imagine a scenario where he gets those teams. <laughs> no, 100%. They literally can't add him. I mean, I mean, I don't even know how they'd match the salary. So basically, the only California team he can go to that may be interested in, theoretically, is, is the Warriors. Because they have tons of assets and, and he could kind of fit in. But reportedly, the Warriors, they look at it like, as long as they have Draymond Green on the roster, they don't really need Ben Simmons, who maybe at his best is some version of a Draymond Green type player. So maybe that could happen. He can wind up in in Golden State, but he's not going to end up in one of the Los Angeles teams. All right, guys. So I have one final question for you guys. Is Rich Paul going to wind up as a next David Falk, who, for those who don't know, was Jordan's agent, who wielded so much power when MJ was around, but obviously he pissed a lot of people off and just wound up becoming super irrelevant once MJ retired? Wow. I mean, it's definitely the million dollar question, right? Is this empire that Rich Paul has built, let's assume that it doesn't crumble because of the Noel lawsuit. Can it last when LeBron is no longer a player, but he doesn't wield that kind of influence as kind of the gatekeeper? The guy who I'm sure when they pitch to a new agents, they just like, they lead with, hey, you know, we have LeBron James. When that's no longer the case, does his agency still have the same amount of power? I honestly don't know, but... The fact that they spread out beyond basketball into football and baseball makes you think that they do have some sort of staying power, but not if Rich Paul keeps burning bridges with all the front office in the NBA. At some point, someone's going to refuse to deal with him. The whole reason why I reject the premise that he works only to help LeBron is there's only 30 teams out there. And if you are an agency, you need to place your players into one of these 30 teams. So you have to kind of work with whoever is available and is willing to give your client a contract. But that works the other way around too. If you piss off all these teams, where are your players going to go? So I, I do think Rich Paul is, it's a little bit of, you know what it reminds me of? And I know Eric will get this reference. You guys remember the movie Scarface? There's that scene where Tony Montana is just getting all the riches. He's got a fucking like tiger or something. And the push to the limit music comes on. And it's just like, it's just excess everywhere. Everything's going great. And you just feel like it's just on the, it's teetering on the edge of a potential collapse. Wow, that was a fantastic analogy. I, I love that. I love that. Uh, yeah, I I don't know how to really answer that question. I, I don't know if I, I can be a prognosticator and figure out whether he'll still have power post-LeBron. But I do think a lot of his power is derived from his connections to LeBron. So I... I don't know if the foundation he's built, considering the hatred he has 
and front offices and other agents. I don't know with that type of vitriol, if you take LeBron out of the equation, if Rich Paul would still be the Rich Paul we're seeing right now. So I can definitely see a scenario where it's like David Falk, where he's kind of like surreptitiously run out of the league after LeBron says goodbye. Yeah, and... I'm sort of in agreement with both of you here. I do think that the empire built, as AC had said, not just within the NBA, but across the the MLB, the NFL, it's huge. And of course, even when LeBron eventually retires, I do think that influence of those two sort of, you know, starting this whole thing really together, it's it's still going to be pretty prevalent. I I think that Rich Paul has really indoctrinated himself within like the, the sphere of agency within for the players as well. So I, I don't know. I, I'd like to think that he could re- retain this level of power. Maybe not to this extent where it's at now, but still have a, a decent and strong client base in the future. Well, the good news for him is that his guy, LeBron, might just be fucking, you know, Dorian Gray. This guy might not ever freaking age. So he'll <laughs> like, be playing another 40 years. So. Play forever. I, I'm, loving, I'm, I'm loving all the literary references tonight. We had yeah. Grima Worm Tongue. We had Horatio <laughs> Alger. You just dropped Dorian Gray. Yeah. Shout out to high school English classes. For sure. For sure. I mean, I could have gone other directions. I could have gone with like, you know, Apocalypse or, you know, some sort of comic character. There's so many immortal people, but I went with that Dorian Gray picture because there's a little bit of rot at the soul of that, right? So that was a little appropriate. Yeah, for sure. And with that, I think that's a great place to stop. Thank you all so much for tuning in to our episode today. If you like what you heard, please feel free to subscribe, rate, and comment, and catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. All right, guys. Peace out. Take care.